There's so much we need to do to build a funnel that actually works. So many moving parts, lead gen, the offer, the launch strategy, and more. The focus is often on the top of the funnel to call people in or the end of the funnel to sell. But what about the middle? What do you do with people who are in your funnel? My guest today will be sharing why the middle of the funnel is overlooked and how we can strategically create content that actually sells our offers. You're listening to the Launch Playbook Podcast, the weekly podcast for service-based business owners to discover the starts, stops, and tools of transformation that go into launching their online offers. I'm your host, Sarah Vartanian, and if you want to launch your ideas into the world faster with more success and less burnout, well, friend, consider this show your secret playbook to get you there. Today, I'm welcoming Tamika Awai, a content marketing strategist and founder of Arisha Creative, a nurture marketing agency. Tamika, welcome. Thank you so much, Sarah. I'm so glad to be here. I'm so excited that we're going to get to chat. I have, you know, listened to so many podcasts that you've been on and followed all your Instagram lives. And I'm always learning so much from you that I'm excited we get to have a one-to-one chat about Me what you too. do. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm here for it. <laughs> so Tamika, I've met a lot of, you know, copywriters or launch strategists over the years and, but no one really focuses specifically on nurture marketing. So will you tell us more about what you do? Absolutely. And I want to say it's one of those things, you know, we call ourselves nurture marketing strategists, nurture marketing experts. And I'll often, often have this sort of thing like, should I, should I just, you know, be a content marketer? Cause the question that comes up, of course, is like, what the heck is a nurture marketing strategist? But I am fully behind the decision because it always allows me to kind of have this conversation off the top of like, what is nurture marketing? <laughs> So, so it's a little strategic piece on my, on my behalf that kind of, yeah, that always works in our favor. So nurture marketing, in my view, is really the efforts, the activities, the actions that we take in order to prepare a new lead to work with us. It's quite simply the actions that we take to move our new leads along their buyer's journey to prepare them to be ready to step in when we make that invitation. You know, sometimes nurture can get a surface level sort of definition and it can be defined as, you know, anything that we do outside of having a straight up, you know, buy this now call to action or anytime that we decide we're going to show up and, you know, quote unquote, give value. But for me, nurture needs to, we need to peel back a layer and we need to get really intentional and we need to have, we need to be really outcome oriented. And again, that outcome is how do we move a new lead along that buyer's journey so that they're ready to buy? That's what nurture is supposed to do. Oh my gosh, there's so much you said that I want to dig into. So I'm just going to go for it here. Do it. Okay. So why do you think nurture marketing is often so neglected in, in the final space? Let's call it. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple things. I think the thing number one is, is just the, again, not having a clear definition or outcome. You know, anytime we start to do anything as marketers, if we're not really clear about the outcome we're trying to create, we don't, you know, we, we don't give it all that's required to actually to, to get the outcome. Right. So I think there's like a, what is this thing? And, and because there isn't clarity around what this thing is, we, you know, we don't spend a lot of time there, but you know, Beyond that, I was sort of thinking about this for an Instagram live I did recently. And I think it's because when we get started in our business and, and again, Sarah, like you and I are marketers, you know, we've got kind of the leg up. 
but most business owners are not. And so when they get started, when they start a business, they're looking for marketers to sort of show them where to focus. And when you're just getting started in a business, where do you focus? Well, you focus on sales and you focus on generating leads because you need to have proof of concept, right? You need to sell the thing to know that people will buy it. And you usually have to gather like a lot of leads or a lot of people around you to to kind of have the best success rate there, right? So we're so focused, I think, on the short term to get started that we can't help but focus on lead gen and enrollment. And the challenge is that we don't expand beyond that. We kind of stay in that short-term lens looking always at, you know, where's the next sale coming from? Where's the next sale coming from? Instead of stepping back and really thinking, okay, you know, how can I have it be so that I'm not always trying to find the next person to buy, but rather the people that are around me raising their hands and saying, hey, I, I want to buy with, you know, I want to work with you, right? So have our leads that we're sort of generating, have them actually, you know, take the take the lead, so to speak, in terms of having the relationship become that of client, you know, client and, and business, as opposed to really being in that space of, yeah, always kind of hunting, like, where's the next lead? Where's the next person who's going to say yes? Gosh, that makes so much sense. So when we've neglected our nurture marketing, what's our way back in? How do we get started? Yeah, you know, the way the way back in really, Sarah, is getting super clear on and kind of reconnecting to our ideal client, getting really clear on. And I know, you know, this is like so, you know, I can I can feel somebody rolling their eyes. It's like ideal client. I've done ideal client stuff. I'm, I'm over the ideal client. But it really all starts there because when we're talking about nurture, we're talking about deepening the conversation that we're having with those prospects in our community who are, you know, most aligned to work with us. And so we have to, we have to get deep. We have to go deep into who those ideal clients are so that we can kind of meet them where they're at and have the conversation that they need to have to move them along their buyer's journey. So it's getting really clear on ideal client and it's getting clear beyond the sort of the demographics and the psychographics, right? We're not just talking about like attitudes, behaviors, interests. It doesn't matter if they're a mom in Toronto with two kids or, you know, something else, right? That's not what I'm talking about. When I'm talking about getting clear on your ideal client, I'm talking about really getting clear again on that conversation that they're having with themselves that's preventing them from moving forward to take the actions towards working with you. So we want to get clear on like what, you know, first of all, we want to look at like what is going on for them. What kind of scenarios and symptoms are kind of showing up in their life that lets them know that they have a problem, right? And then how are they like, what what is the narrative that they're then having around those symptoms and scenarios, right? So to give you an example, you know, if we're talking about like a health coaching business and we're looking at ideal clients, you know, say a health coach who helps their clients lose weight without diets or something like that, right? And we're thinking about the scenarios and situations and symptoms that a potential client for this, you know, what they might be like, what those symptoms might be like. We would say, okay, you know, what's a scenario that might happen? Okay, they get up in the morning and they go to put on their clothes and they're like unhappy because none of their favorite items fit them. Okay, so that's a symptom, that's a scenario. But what's the narrative? What's the conversation that they're having with themselves? You know, they're saying something to themselves around this, this, you know, situation that keeps popping up for them. Like, what is that conversation? And how can we create nurture content to join them in that conversation and help them have a new perspective around their problem, right? So we get really clear on who the ideal client is, 
and the conversations that they're sort of having with themselves. And then we can start to create content that meets them in that conversation. That's so great. I really love that idea of listening. It's something we talk about a lot in the podcast here around going deeper beyond that, like surface level ICA that we all, as you said, roll our eyes at. We're like, we've done that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tell us, how do you recommend we find out that information? Yeah. So really, it kind of depends on where you're at in your business. For most like established business owners, that information is it's it's probably already in your business. If you have discovery call forms where you, you know, collect information before you speak with a new prospect, or if you do any sort of intake process before you start working together, you like they have probably told you the scenarios and situations that are coming up. And if they haven't been, you might want to think about like, how can I tweak those forms or those intake processes to be able to gather some of that information? Right. But it's typically there, right? When, you know, before we start working with someone, we ask them like, Hey, what'd you reach out for? What's the problem? What's going on for you? Right. We ask them questions like that. And that is Intel that lets us know kind of, okay, what, what's happening? Right. And if we don't have that, the best way to, you know, to gather it is really to ask. Like, again, here's another one where folks will roll their eyes. Nobody wants to have, you know, those client interviews or, or, you know, just kind of sort, you know, marketing research conversations with their, with their list, right? Nobody wants to do that. And there is a breadth of information that's available when we are willing to just, you know, have that conversation and say, Hey, you know, like, tell me, you know, what are all the things, what are all the things that really frustrate you about the problem that you have? When you're going through an average day in your life, like how many times or how many different things sort of show up for you? What are the experiences that you're having that let you know that this problem is really present for you? And, you know, what do you want to have your, your experience be like instead? What do you, you know, what do you wish things were like instead? Like all of these pieces can, can help us form a really accurate kind of comprehensive view of who our ideal client is. And again, that all, it all helps us connect to like, what is that conversation? Like what, you know, what is the narrative going on for them on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Oh my gosh, that's so good. And I hope listeners that you're taking notes because Tamika just dropped you know, two big things that you could do in your business. One, I love how you mentioned if you don't already have some of those questions in your intake or in, you know, in the ways that people in your sales calls or wherever you're collecting that information to do it. What an easy way to have something come to you on a regular basis and to collect that information. And the other one is to, you know, make the leap to have the conversations. I know I found like when I've been on the end of people asking me for them, I'm usually almost, almost willing to say yes or like fill up the surveys. And I'm guessing you are too. Totally. I think that we think that like, I think I, I hear from like clients who like talk to that they're like, oh, people say no, but like so often they don't, right? Like I feel like I never have had a client who hasn't been able to get a handful of interviews with people. Have you like, to- you? Uh, totally, <laughs> yeah. totally. And it's like, you know, you don't need to have 600 of these things. Oh my gosh, no. Right? <laughs> right? It's, like, it's a handful. It's yeah. a handful, right? Yeah. I, it's a handful. And I find especially, I can, I totally can relate to the the piece of feeling awkward about reaching out to people who haven't worked with you yet or people that you don't know, right? There's that like, you know, breaking the ice. But for your clients who've already worked with you, trust me, they love to be able to support you. If they've worked with you and they've had great results, they love to support you. And if you're like, hey, can I just have like a 10 minute conversation around what life was like for you before we started working together? Trust me, they will be happy to share, you know, and and even reflect on how much 
their life and experiences changed now that, you know, you're there supporting them. So true. I found even as a copywriter, when I've been doing those interviews for my clients, so many of their clients will actually be like, and if there's anything else, just let me know. Do you want a video? Do you want this? They're so generous with their time once they've had a great experience too, especially. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you mentioned earlier, and I was, I could, I could visualize the air quotes in my head as you were saying it. You talked about value, like just yeah. add value. Can we talk about that a little bit? <laughs> let's, let's talk about the value because honestly, and you know, I've had a few conversations about this value, the V word now, and I, I, the jury is out as to whether this is a problem that shows up more for those who identify as women run businesses, right? Because there's the nurturing kind of feminine aspect that is sort of conditioned into us. But what I find happens in a lot of businesses is that value is like code for just giving away the farm, giving away all of your intellectual property, giving away, you know, and and trying to like put yourself in this place to churn out all of this content in the name of value. And it, in my view, it really is not actually delivering the value in the way that you are hoping it would, right? So when we think about value, we think about, okay, like, give me, you know, your checklist and your top five tips to this and, you know, little, you know, snacks here and there, things to do, right? That is supposed to be valuable. And in my view and my experience, Really what that type of content, that type of how-to content does, it often leaves your prospects kind of like cycling in this paradigm of thinking they can solve the problem themselves. It leaves them sort of thinking, if I just collect enough of this value, enough of these freebies and tips and tools and tricks and everything else, then I don't actually need to hire somebody because I can just kind of, you know, Frankenstein it together and get the outcome, right? You know, and, and so we don't want to leave people that who've like raised their hand, you know, not raise their hand, but kind of like step forward and say, Hey, I, I have a problem. We don't want to leave them with this false understanding that they can solve it themselves. We instead want to let them know, like, Hey, you know, here's actually the reasons why you can't solve it yourself. Or here's, you know, all the things that you haven't thought about that an expert, you know, does think about and know and can guide you through so that you can get the results a lot faster. So. You know, in my view, kind of this creating content, you know, to be valuable the way that we've been taught or the way that it's been, you know, kind of reflected in online marketing. It's like a giant, like, let's not go there. For me, the most valuable kind of content that you can create, especially as a service-based business provider. And, and so this could look different, you know, if you're product-based, but for my service-based folks, the biggest value that you can offer up is helping your prospects see their problem in a whole new way so that they can become open to getting it solved because they can't solve it on their own, right? That's why you exist. Oh my gosh. I think we could have a whole other podcast episode around. Totally. <laughs> my mind is just going. <laughs> totally. But I hear you with that. And I and I think, I, I just want to say I resonate with so much of what you're saying. And I think we have been told, and I know so many programs I've been in over the years have been, you know, they tell you around, like, you have to give, 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 give before you can sell and give a lot. Right. And, and like just make and create. And it's so much that I see why people don't want to send like their, you know, like send their weekly emails or spend time in the right. nerd train because it feels like so much to do. And I hear what you're saying that it sounds like the more we spend on, let's say that shifting beliefs in the mindset piece, the why, as opposed to giving them more things to do that they actually can't implement themselves is more powerful. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. And the cool thing is when you get really clear on sort of, you know, what those core messages are that your people need to hear, like what those core perspective shifts are, you can actually like reduce the amount of content that you're creating, like the value, the old paradigm of value and the kind of tips and tricks and all that stuff I find has you to your point, like churning out all this stuff, trying to come up with new and different and, you know, what haven't I given them already, right? But when you have this eye of like, how can I help them think about their problem differently? It, the focus is a lot narrower and we get to actually be in this place of like repetition because the repetition is actually what they need. So we don't need to come up with all new stuff all of the time to be valuable for our people. If we're, you know, if we've got our, you know, if we're thinking about it in the way that I'm, you know, proposing, we think about it. We just have to identify what narrative, like what conversations we need to be having with them and kind of put those on repeat. To, to help our prospects actually step forward and move on their buyer's journey and say yes. So to sum that up, how, how would you say or what makes effective nurture marketing? Let's call it. Yeah. Effective nurture marketing, again, is really just identifying the conversation that your prospects need to be having with you to help them make a buying decision and delivering that. So we're effective when we create content that helps our prospects see their problem in a brand new way and therefore be open to a new solution. And then what would you find the really big difference between nurture marketing would be and our regular weekly newsletters or social content? Or is there yeah. a difference? There, so there isn't a difference, but I sort of differentiate or kind of create a distinction. Like, in our, you know, at, at Arisha and the work that we do, we sort of create a distinction because we think there are two sort of windows or two kind of different tracks of clients or prospects, sorry, that you want to be nurturing. So there are the prospects who are kind of new to your list, right? The, you know, they're warm, but they're not like super warm, right? There is a certain kind of nurture that we might want to offer them. And then they're sort of like our ongoing kind of consistent nurture for people who've been in our world for some time, right? I believe that sort of the first, you know, sort of 90 days-ish, you know, no hard and fast rules, but 90-ish days that someone has joined your list, you have an incredible opportunity to really help them move along their buyer's journey a lot more quickly, to help them make that decision to work with you a lot more quickly. Beyond that, it's not that they'll never work with you, but there just might be other things going on. And so, you know, the the, the window is slightly different. So, you know, at Arisha, we have a specific way that we nurture folks in those first 90 days. And we don't usually have kind of the traditional newsletter strategy there. We have, you know, regular emails that are going out, but we're not kind of thinking about newsletter format or traditional newsletter format, we're more thinking about this perspective shifting content centered around, you know, kind of the core messages that we've defined. And then once people have received that sort of initial content, then we might move them over to like a main list. And that's where we'll give, you know, a newsletter. So the thing about newsletters, I find is that everyone kind of does them a little bit different. Some, you know, I don't know if you remember like the good old days, uh, Allie Brown with her easing situation, right? And that was like one format of a newsletter. And then other people have a newsletter that might have like their weekly podcast or monthly podcast episodes or whatever. Everyone's kind of got a different format, I think, for a newsletter, right? And I think they're really valuable and helpful. But I do feel that when people first join your list, if they haven't taken action, you know, if they've gotten kind of that initial invitation that you might make after they opt in and, you know, you kind of deliver the thing that you promised and then you know, maybe make an initial invitation for them to book a call or something like that. If they don't take you up on that offer, you know, that light offer at that point, then I feel, you know, giving them some strategic nurture that's really focused on perspective shifting and belief shifting up front is really helpful. And then I'm happy for them, you know, to move into kind of regular nurture, whatever your newsletter might look like. 
That makes a lot of sense. So would our, let's call it that 90 day period, would that be evergreen content we're creating? Yeah. Yeah. We call it the nurture matrix, right? That's like our proprietary framework, but essentially it's a 90 day evergreen sequence that rolls across email. And, you know, there are ways to bring it into social media as well, but it's primarily an email marketing strategy. And it's, and it's evergreen and everybody who comes into the list gets it. And then, you know, depending on, because again, every business is different. I'm, I'm a big fan of frameworks and not formulas. So, you know, we do different things for different people, but generally everyone gets it at least once. Sometimes in some businesses, they get it a couple times, but ultimately, you know, most folks after they've moved through it, they can move on to a regular newsletter. And, you know, Sarah, sometimes the newsletter topics like still include some of that, you know, same or similar content, but we're just, you know, in that first 90 days, we're just really being focused and making sure that we're giving a new prospect like the best possible conditions to make a buying decision early if that's, you know, if it's right for them to do so, right? So no manipulation or any like weird business like that, but all the conditions line up. We know that we've given them everything that they need to know to make that decision, you know, as quick, you know, more quickly. That makes so much sense to me, Kat. I've, I've, when I've worked with clients before for like their launch copy, one of the things that often comes up, we're looking at, let's say how they brought people in in the first place. And I've noticed that they'll do that really short welcome sequence. A lot of people have that short welcome sequence we've all heard about. Maybe it's like three to four emails. They'll do that initial offer, as you mentioned, but then they don't do anything else after that. So either they've gone like silent or they've just gone into like their podcast episodes, but they've never gone back to make that offer again until let's say now they're hiring me to work on a launch, right? Like, but they, but I'm like, oh, there's exactly. so much missed opportunity. Exactly. exactly. And like, you know, they, they probably, mm-hmm. you know, might even say, or you might suggest to them, okay, look, let's mm-hmm. do a little like pre-launch kind of warm up sequence mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's better than nothing. But imagine now instead of like going dark. And again, mm-hmm. some people might be sending out like a weekly podcast episode or whatever the thing is. Right. But imagine instead of this place where in they're receiving kind of you know, seemingly random, you know, random content. <laughs> Instead, we've, we've gotten really, really strategic and we've said, okay, we, we want to talk to them about this and then this and then this and then this. And we've kind of got this nice flow of a, of a conversation similar to what we would do in a launch, which is why, you know, launch content is so powerful, right? Cause we're, it's well thought out and it's like we're, you know, nailing the conversations and, and kind of taking them on a journey, right? We do that with our launch. Like, why wouldn't we do that? with our nurture so that they are ready for the launch. Definitely. And I'm sure that you've heard that phrase. And I think listeners, probably you have too, where it's like, if you're not in launch, you're in pre-launch. And as you're speaking, yeah. it, it resonates with me so much because I think you're right. Like there's so often we do that pre-launch period, like six, four, three weeks before we're really focused. But like, imagine the power if we were doing that you know, for that 90 days for much, much longer and being much more specific, the kind of results launches would have. This episode of the Launch Playbook Podcast is brought to you by my free launch maps, your complete step-by-step map of all your launch assets, so you know exactly what messaging notes to hit and when to share each piece of copy. Because I know that you have signed up for many freebies over the years, only to be disappointed with the Canva PDF that hardly gave you any info, but I promise you the launch maps aren't that. When I showed these to my OBM, she literally walked off the screen that I was giving away this for free. This is the exact launch map template I use for every single one of my one-on-one clients. And inside, you'll be able to personalize, tweak, and repeat a strategy for your messaging for each and every launch from 
pre-launch to post. Go and get your free launch map at www.sarahvartanian.com slash launch dash map. And imagine it's evergreen. So yeah. you really, you know, you do it once. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, I'm never like a set it and forget it kind of person yeah. because I do feel you need to go back and look at metrics and see how things mm-hmm. are performing and tweak and in all those pieces. But essentially, you know, it's created and it rolls and then, yay, the like, foundation you, you know, there. that's yeah. exactly, you've got that foundation. And then even as you're saying, like, it's not the launches, if you did live launches, they'd be more of a compliment, right, to this strategy because right. then you would have this beautiful evergreen way of having folks come in to work with you. Exactly. Exactly. And they're ready, right? So, you know, imagine having the launch coming up and knowing that, like, you've got people who have been, like, waiting for this. Like, they've been, they might even be on a wait list already, like, depending on how you've set up your nurture strategy. And that's absolutely something that you can bring into a sequence, like a longer term sequence like that. You get to dictate kind of what the conversation is going to be like. So you could have people joining a wait list and know that you're going to go into that launch with, you know, people on a wait list literally waiting to know when the door is open or, you know, depending on what kind of program you have, you can even be kind of like allowing people to step in early if that's something that's aligned for you. So, you know, we worked with clients where we've supported them to, you know, fill their program before they do their active enrollment campaign. And so when they go into launch mode, they're launching already like 40 or 50 percent full. So how great does that feel knowing that your launch is kind of, you know, your launch actually starts to become a lead gen tool in a way, if your program's already halfway full and you're just kind of filling the remaining spots, who, like, what's the launch really for then? Well, it's to kind of give you high visibility on additional people, right? So it becomes this place where, you know, the launch and even the lead gen as well, right? It's not, we're not doing it in vain. We know that if they're not ready today, we've got a really thoughtful, you know, an effective way to get them ready for next time, right? Or again, depending on how you're, how you're able to enroll people, they might reach out to you ahead of time, right? They're reaching out to you before you can say, hey, the door is open. Oh my gosh, there's so much possibility there too. I'm even thinking like in terms of launch budget, if you knew it was full, like partially full beforehand, then it would allow you to hire some more support for it or maybe invest in some Facebook ads because you would know you've already made, let's say what your bottom line goal is, right? And now everything else is, I'm going to call it gravy or extra that you, you know, profit that you could use in however you want. Exactly. Exactly. So let's talk about some of those results. When people have put these things into place, what are some of the kind of results that you see happen for your clients? Yeah, absolutely. So the the piece of having the programs filled, you know, or filling ahead of time, that's one of the big results that are especially our really established clients, right? The the results that you see, I always I just don't like folks who are like muddy with the results and, and misrepresent. If you are a super established, you know, coach, mentor, teacher, you know, business owner, and you know, your offer sells really well, and you've got a bunch of all the other things dialed in, your launch content is dialed in, like all of the things, right? Sales page, like everything's, everything's on point. Adding this additional layer of nurture, we've seen folks have their programs again, 40, 50. There's one client who was like up to 60% filled before she did her open enrollment. So that's on the really high established end. On folks who are a little bit more emerging, meaning they're still kind of like dialing in their offer, they're enrolling it, but they're still kind of figuring some things out. They're seeing things like more right fits showing up on sales calls, more right fits showing up in their programs, because again, they've nurtured people so that when someone actually does press the button to book a call, they're they're ready to go, right? They have that experience of someone showing up on a sales call saying, 
hey, you know, when you said X, Y, and Z, that really spoke to me. And I just knew I had to speak with you. Hey, you know, I'm actually ready to enroll. I just want to ask you a couple questions about, you know, start date, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So you step into this experience of just feeling a lot more efficient with your enrollment process because you're speaking to people who are ready to go. There's none of this like, you know, heavy sales calls, long sales calls. How good does that feel? Tons of follow up. Exactly. Tons of follow up. You just have people who are a lot, a lot more ready to go more quickly. And I imagine too, when that's happening, it allows you to sort of play with raising prices and. Exactly. Doing things like that, all that good stuff that we like to do as business owners over time. Exactly. Exactly. It gives us intel, right? It gives Mm -hmm. us intel and lets us know. And I, I think above all, it helps us. We're serving more of our ideal clients in our programs. Mm -hmm. It, it, that tightens up our marketing across the board, right? Because Mm -hmm. then we're gathering information that lets us know, okay, hey, like Mm -hmm. if we talk about these things on our sales page, you know, based on these exact right fit clients, we're going to call in more of them. And, and similarly in our nurture, we can bring this in to the nurture so that we are, again, just dialing in who we're speaking to, right? We all know that it's at this point in internet marketing and in, especially in the coaching space, you know, we're in the age of of the of the super niche, right? Like you want to be <laughs> there, you know, specificity is what sells, right? So when you can be really hyper, super specific around who you serve and, you know, the offer and how it helps and, and all of those pieces, right? Like that's got to be, the more that that is dialed in, the, the better, the, the more successful we are. And then to your point, yeah, we can, you know, raise prices, have bigger groups, what, whatever the actual goal of Absolutely. growth looks like for us, we can do all of those things. And imagine too, it allows us to even just tweak and refine that offer further and further. So it's even more powerful and, trans- exactly. and transformational. The more, again, we're having the people go through who are the right people. For exactly. It. So I want to just backtrack a little bit to that value conversation we were having. And so we talked about you know, that we had often heard here about, you know, giving so much of value. What about the value, let's call it, of the lead magnet or the thing that brings the people in the first place? What do you think of that? Like, what does that have to be or what kind of things do you find are working really well? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the lead magnet is the place where I do feel you give, like, that's where you give your value. You give them that and then, you know, then they're hooked in. After that, we don't need to, like, sprinkle all these, you know, sprinkles and you know chocolate sauce and all this stuff we don't have to make make a crazy sunday right but we do need to give something that is highly valuable you know off the top i think what works really well kind of depends on who your audience is i think you have to be really conscious of the time that's available for your prospects and what the the marketplace sort of looks like like i don't believe that there the competition is really real i think there's more than enough clients for everybody else for everybody who wants to serve them and I do feel that you want to stand out, right? So if 90% of the other coaches who are, you know, coaching on what you're coaching on are doing a webinar, you know, you might be able to stand out with something else, right? So I think, you know, I think it kind of depends. I think what I'm also seeing work really well right now is on demand, letting people get access to the thing right away. You know, we used to be in the age of like the timed webinars and artificially timed webinars. Like I'm not talking about just picking a time on the calendar and having an event, but you know, we've got that. Yeah. We've got the fake times ever webinar. I think people are seeing through, you know, all of that stuff. Folks just, if they want a resource, they want it right away. And then you can follow up with, you know, a training or something else. But I, I think kind of just the the quick downloadable something or other for most people works really well up front, followed by, you know, training of some sort to go deeper. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. So we're all about taking action here and you've given us lots of things we can take action with. But if we could just 
summarize a few of those top tips. Can you give us like, let's say three to get the ball rolling on creating great nurture content? Yeah, I think top tip number one, you gotta get more connected to your ideal client. Again, I know we've all done our avatar and it's sitting dusty in our Google Drive somewhere, (laughs) but it's time to take some, you know, a real deeper look at your ideal client, not again from the demographic psychographic perspective, but really looking at like, what is it like to walk in their shoes every single day? What frustrations, what fears are coming up for them? What myths are they buying into? What mistakes are they making? What beliefs are they holding that that aren't really serving serving uh, serving them? Right, getting a look at our ideal client in that way is really really helpful. I think number two, we want to think about like what are the big perspective shifts that our ideal clients need to have before they are ready to work with us? Right, like what do they need to be willing to believe, even if they don't fully believe it yet? What do they need to be willing to believe? about themselves, about the problem, about, you know, possible solutions that would make it align for them to work with us. You know, we want to get clear on those. And just even if we start to jot those down and start to bring those into our messaging, that can be really helpful. And then I think finally, we want to really take a close look at what we're doing right now from a nurture marketing perspective. Are we out there kind of giving out the, you know, the hashtag visible and valuable, you know, sandwich, and we really need to instead give something to something a little bit meatier right? Assessing what we're doing right now from a nurture perspective and committing to creating, to giving a focus at the middle of the funnel that like, that's the only way that we're able to, you know, to become more strategic from a nurture marketing perspective. So good. So how often do we need to update that content and how can we tell if it's working for us? I know you mentioned about going back and, you know, tweaking over time. What are some things that we should be looking at? Yeah, again, I think, you know, with nurture, one of the things that is, is tricky is that well, and I think it's with marketing in general, right? It's we want to be able to have linear results, right? So if I did X, then I see Y results. And it's not always possible to do that. Some some ways that we can start to assess or gauge though are, you know, we can certainly look at quantitative data, right? We can look at how many sales calls we have booked on the calendar and, you know, how many people are opening our emails and all of that stuff. But qualitative data is really important from a nurture perspective, right? Like what is what is the quality of leads that are showing up in your programs? What are the quality of leads that are showing up on sales calls? When you see people engaging with your content on, you know, social or even an email, like, are they replying with something thoughtful? Are they engaging at all? But kind of looking at the depth of quality of engagement, that lets you know as well. Ultimately, we know our nurture is working when we're seeing more of our new leads become new clients, right? We're actually tracking, okay, of the new leads that came into my list from the first quarter, X percentage of them actually stepped into work with us. When we see that that number increasing, that lets us know it's working. And along the way, the signposts are, are sort of what I shared, the pieces around like who's showing up on sales calls, who's showing up in the programs, what kinds of engagement, what are questions, what questions are people asking? Right. And then in terms of how to start tweaking that, it, it's kind of the same thing, right? When we look at, when we notice that something is a recurring theme that's showing up on sales call conversations, right? But we haven't addressed it in our nurture content. That's a sign to let us know that maybe we should be bringing that into our nurture content. And conversely, if we have something that people keep saying over and over again, like, oh my goodness, when you said this, you know, that was what let me know, you know, I needed to work with you. Then maybe we want to think about, okay, do we want to move where that particular conversation is happening in the nurture content? Do we want, is there like a, do we want to repeat it kind of in another way? You know, so we really take the, 
the the feedback that we're getting, but it's more of a qualitative feedback than quantitative, which can kind of be frustrating to be to be totally honest, right? We like numbers because numbers let us know, okay, you know, this isn't working. But nurture is one of those pieces where it is a longer game and and qualitative data really is is the way to 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 assess results. And like how you brought up about repeating as well, like going back and repeating that theme. And you've mentioned a couple of times during that podcast, it's okay to do that and revisit that in a different way. And so I think that's really important. Again, taking notes for listeners that it's okay to say things over and over again. People want to. I often say, like, I often say if you're not a broken record, you're kind of doing it wrong from a nurture perspective, right? Like, if they, if, if you've done the work to sort of, again, really get connected to your ideal client and you know that this is a message that they need to hear, they need to hear it over and over again until they take action. Right. We don't want to give them another message. We want to double down on what we know they need to hear. It sounds like our job then is just to find different ways to say it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Different stories and all those pieces help us say it differently, but it's the same message. So at the end of this episode, Tamika, I always like to ask two of the same questions. So I'm going to do that with you right now. What do you wish people knew about launching? I wish people knew that the launch is both the space where they welcome in new clients, but also the space where they meet their next round's clients. Like that piece of understanding that launch for me also is an aspect of lead gen. I can't say that enough. And I think people forget like they, you know, put all the eggs in the basket of the launch. And if folks don't step in, then they're ready to throw the baby out with the bathwater. But no, we can nurture those people as well and have them step in you know, buy our next launch or possibly before it. It's so great that you call that out. It's something that I'm always thinking about too with like launches is like, what are the goals that we can have beyond just the monetary, right? And like that is yeah. one there, the visibility piece or growing our list piece. There's so many other aspects of it that beyond just what we think it would be like the X. I bought, I brought 60 people in, you know, and I wanted yeah. 72. <laughs> okay. And the other question If our listeners only were to walk away with one thing from this episode, what do you hope it would be? Take some time and look at what you're doing in the middle of the funnel, right? Don't just say I'm creating a bunch of content in between launches and and here I go. I'm being, you know, again, valuable. I'm just putting stuff out there that doesn't have a call to action and I'm hoping for the best, right? It's time we get more strategic and really think about our leads in terms of what's going on for them and where they need to go, right? We're taking them on a journey. And that is from being aware of their problem to being ready to step in and solve it. And there are a series of messages that happen in between there to make that happen. And it's it's our job from a nurture perspective to find out what those are and to communicate them. Amazing. So Tamika, where can our listeners find out more about working with you and your the Risha Creative team? Absolutely. We hang out on Instagram at Arisha Creative. So you can find us there. And if folks are curious about kind of assessing their nurture marketing, you know, what they've been doing so far, we have a really great free assessment tool. We call it the Nurture Opportunity Scorecard, and they can download a copy of that. They can grab it at the Instagram profile or head to nurturematrix.com forward slash scorecard. And it will help them. It's a self-assessment. It's got a little video and everything else, but it's a physical scorecard that you can print out or fill out on screen. It's a fillable PDF, but it kind of takes you through like what you should be looking for from a a social media and an email marketing perspective that are indicators of being really great nurture marketing or or not. And and if not, it's just represents an opportunity for you to go in there and kind of fill the gap. Amazing. We will have all those links in the show notes, of course. And I hope everyone goes and checks out that scorecard. I'm definitely going to go look at it myself too. (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today on the Launch Playbook Podcast. It's been a blast. It has been my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks for tuning into the Launch Playbook Podcast. If you want to get weekly launch secrets in your ears, I hope you'll hit subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss an episode. Because who knows? It could reveal just a thing you've been looking for to make your next launch a success. And be sure to leave a five-star review on iTunes telling me how this episode inspired your launch plans. Until next time, keep putting your big ideas out into the world. I'm rooting for you.